all wrestling fans, you're listening to Wrestling Coast to Coast, a pro wrestling torch daily cast focusing on independent wrestling. I'm Chris Maitland, and joining me this adventure is the man, the myth, the McClellan, Justin McClellan. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Chris, but uh, not as good as you. You had a, a birthday since we last recorded, so I want to say happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, I'm very excited to have another birthday, make it another year. Thank you, uh, Lord, for that. and had a good time with uh, my family. And um, one of the things that actually came up for my birthday... I have a very uh, gracious spouse who uh, is cool with me spending a couple of days away from home, and I actually will be in Philadelphia for the weekend of WrestleMania. I'm actually not going to WrestleMania. I think after the last WrestleMania show we went to in Dallas, I believe. Yes. I think I vowed that I would not go to another WrestleMania ever again. 32, not 38 for those keeping track. They've had another one in Dallas, is there? Yeah, that was the the Stone Cold retirement match. Was oh, yes, Dallas. that's right. I forgot. Right, so this is uh, 32 in 2016. Now, that back then was the... That was one of the last uh, one-night, seven-hour WrestleManias, right? Yeah. So I think for me... I didn't go the next year when our group of friends went to Orlando. Did you guys actually end up going? You went to, like, a bar, right? No, we watched it at, like... Honestly, like this cool like comic book store slash bar, um, that 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 showed it one of the cooler places I've been to. Cool. Um, so that was also be, like a seven hour show though. Yeah, I will be in Philadelphia for the weekend. I'm gonna try to go to some shows of some independent wrestling shows that we talk about. He's some of the wrestlers here that i've enjoyed when i figure that out i'll i'll let you know i'm trying to go to a show on saturday and a show on on sunday making the the very long drive from columbus but uh in all of this talking about wrestling uh it turns out that my oldest daughter now wants to go to a wrestling show with me that's i mean that's exciting to me i've i've long dreamed of i don't have children but um my friends calling me in a panic, sort of, who'd be like, my, my son's into wrestling now, what do I do? And I'd just be like, take a deep breath. <laughs> we got a lot to go over. Um, so, I mean, have you given any thought to what show you would take her to? I don't know. You know, I thought about, you know, going to one of the independent shows around here when I go to in Columbus. But then also I'm like, they're very close to the action. Right. <laughs> and she's five. And I mean, a lot of independent shows are, have a lot of, um, I would say, more adult leanings. Yes. So I have to do some research. Maybe I have to wait for the next time uh, WWE comes to town. Um, but those shows, I mean, if it's a Raw, it's going to be very long. So yeah. I think at this point, we might just stick to watching on TV. I do remember two things about her being younger. One... The first match I remember her actually watching it all was a Willow, I believe, Roxy match on Ring of Honor TV. He was kind of staring at when she was about three. Was that and, from Final uh, Battle? No, I think it was it was a TV show. I think it was it was Willow versus someone, and that one I had the thought process was of like, I wanted my daughter to watch a wrestler. It would probably be Willow. Yeah. Positive, and then. For some reason, the last time when I was in New York visiting my parents, 
And my sister, uh, my parents still very eager wrestling watchers to this day. My dad watches all the wrestling shows. She was very enthralled by Gunther versus Chad Gable for the Intercontinental title. Your daughter has great taste. <laughs> yeah, so maybe I'll... Your daughter knows, knows he can work. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she, she didn't rate him any stars or anything, but maybe... Yeah. Um, maybe she'll give, a, give give them a star for, for each of her years uh, of age. So right. any updates maybe in the future we get to a show or we watch a show and, you know, we'll see how that goes uh, from there. But... Obviously, um, like, a WWE house show might be the best because it's like, you know... It's relatively short. There's not like a lot of downtime like on Raw. Um, shorter matches, a you know family friendly atmosphere. Yeah, I don't remember the last time that. Um, I feel like every time that WWE has come to Columbus, it's for TV. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the last time they came for a house show. They may be somewhere closer in Ohio, but um, yeah, something to look into. Mm-hmm. But I am excited to be able to say that I'm going to uh, WrestleMania weekend. And uh, yeah, we will let uh, all the folks know about what shows I attend and people are listening, want to say hello. I'll be wearing a pit hat as I go pretty much everywhere when I'm not working. And um, yeah, once I figure out where I'm going. Which, you know, their shows and wrestlers announce it all the time. But it'll give me a great opportunity to see a lot of the uh, different wrestlers that uh, I watch, that uh, Justin and I cover here on the show. And so we're very excited for that opportunity. Now, the one thing that independent wrestling can bring you, as well as just the wrestling we talked about that my daughter should see, uh, we want to be very careful what I would take her to because we don't want her to see anything too violent maybe have too many moments of violence which takes us to the show that we're talking about this week which is prestige wrestling's a moment of violence which took place on february 25th 2024 from los angeles california it aired on iwtv with your commentators jordan castle and jack farmer and i will say that um, prestige wrestling looked out for me gave me a birthday gift on this show i will get to that a little bit later this show, I should start off by saying, uh, I almost felt watching this show was like a TNA developmental show. Uh, TNA had their uh, No Surrender show over the weekend and their TV tapings on Friday and Saturday before. And apparently, a lot of the wrestlers got on the same flight out from, uh, I think they were in Florida, to uh, to uh, Los Angeles. Because a lot of... Wrestlers who appeared on that show and those tapings were on this show, lead, especially leading in the main event. Oh, sorry, yeah. in the main event, but also in the opening match. Some Shida, brought their belts. Yes, and some did, some didn't. We'll get to that in a minute. One person who wrestles in, in TNA doesn't have a belt in the opening match was Kushida. He wrestles Sonico. Sonico is typically referred to as the ace of prestige. And this match was really uh, a showcase to kind of show how tough he was, even though he wasn't going to be on the winning end when it was all over. Kushida worked over the arm to set up a hover, hoverboard lock and to minimize Sonico's ability to put on the AMF. Kushida dominated most of the match with uh, Sonico being able to get a couple spots in or there for hope, but Kushida was mostly in control. 
He finally got the hoverboard lock on Sonic. Sonic did not tap. He uh, they fought for a bit of a while. Then Kushida and Sonic were on the top rope. He finally got the hoverboard lock on again and jumped down. This caused Sonic to submit. So Kushida won with the hoverboard hoverboard lock in 15 minutes and 53 seconds. Again, uh, Sonico is the ace of prestige. Doesn't take many losses, but here uh, he was on the losing end. Kushida, your winner again in 15 minutes and 53 seconds. I thought this was a pretty great opener. Uh, Sonico came out. His mat, his mask was uh, very shiny in the way I think of like junior high folders that have unicorns on them are sometimes shiny. Um, it, was, it was a weird choice. Uh, even weirder was Kushida's hair hair cut. It appeared he lost some sort of bet. Um, Sonico also had the big Tracy Williams shoulder harness, but uh, he had decorated it with like some fur or feathers, which was actually a pretty cool look. Um, Sonico controlled a lot early. Um, like Kushida had to bail out of the ring because Sonico just kept getting the better of him. Um, Kushida finally did like a surfboard kind of thing, but Sonico even managed to reverse that. Kushida finally started working over Sonico's injured arm, the one with the, the shoulder harness. He did a beautiful armbar DDT. Uh, he actually started going after Sonico's mask, and then like, which was really weird because I think of Kushida as almost like an ultimate, like Ricky Steamboat, Tanahashi, babyface. Um, but here, like he he started and he was like, sorry, sorry guys. But he um, really was kind of aggressive in a heelish way sometimes during the match. I think because Sonico's the ace and Kushida was going over anyway, he uh, managed to he drop kicked Sonico so hard like some of the fur actually flew off of that shoulder harness. Um, Sonico Sonico made another comeback. They 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 were down in a seated position. They kicked each other and then they slapped each other and collapsed. Um, it was a very silly spot, I thought, but it got a this is awesome chant nevertheless. Sonico did a dive between the ropes, but also like right around the post. Um, it was pretty crazy targeting by Sonico, I thought, to hit that. Um, it was too bad. The, the very ending uh, was sort of botched. Kushida was supposed to... Let, Sonico was on the top rope. Kushida was supposed to flip up and do like a handstand um up into a rana and just didn't quite make the handstand so he fell down and had to jump up and do it and that was unfortunately led right to the finish so took it down just a little bit i thought it was a very good match other than that they wrestled kind of a more grounded style than you usually see from sonico it was definitely more of what i would think of as a kushida match but sonico kept up and kushida uh, gave him a ton in the match before going over. So this was a really good opener. And what are your thoughts on the booking of Kushida beating Sonico with Sonico being the ace of prestige? The last time he watched him wrestle, he beat Sammy Callahan. Uh, a very brief match in the ball for a long, a long time. Do you think this was the right decision to make, or should they have put someone else in this in the position to uh, to lose to Kushida? I think it's fine. It, it, it's outsider. You know, outsiders are kind of like a weird deal because I think even though people obviously were big Sonico fans, I think they viewed Kushida as a a bigger, more accomplished star because he'd been in New Japan and he's in TNA. And you know, there's something about being in a 
major televised promotion that will elevate you. So I think just the fact that we got a match where Kushida, like I said, had a really good outing with, or Sonico had a very good outing with Kushida, took a, probably 60% of the match, and in no way looked like a chump in defeat. I think I think that's good enough. That's fair. What did you it, think? Yeah, I just, for me, I mean, you know, Kushida told the story, you know, that's a dominating early, and Sonico had the sort of will of fighting back. And I, I look at this, I guess for me, I would have had a different view if it was a face-heel match. I know Kushida had his heel moments, but he really is a baby face. You know, I take back to one of the classic examples of wrestling back in the day was the territory, the uh, traveling world champion against the ba- heel against a baby face in the territory where the baby face would maybe lose or not win, but he would look strong enough in the end. There actually was a match. Um, it's kind of happened not exactly that way, but to reference TNA, uh, where Moose wrestled Kevin Knight, where Moose is the TNA champion and he is bigger than and won at the end, of course, but he made Knight look really good in defeat. I just feel like that that dynamic is a bit harder to do when both are baby faces, but I think the sentiment there, I agree with you in principle that it wasn't bad for Sonico and that he can still come back from this. Just when you you know say someone's the ace, it means a lot to beat them, so... Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I think about that. Yeah. The next match was uh, Gregory Sharp versus Jordan Cruz. This match began with one of my pet peeves, which was what, Justin? Uh, it, what was it? Cruz attacked Sharp before the bell, and boy, did he attack him. He didn't, he didn't just attack him. You know, we have matches where someone gets punched, they get hit from behind. He German suplexed him. Yes. And, and the ref, where, also the ref just rang the bell. She, she didn't even like, usually they'll be like separate him and be like, are you okay? Do you want to go at least? And the ref is just like, well, let's do this. And, I, you know, I, you know, I've, I've gone uh, over this time and time again. I guess I will always continue to, it just, it's ridiculous. I, not a fan. Um, Cruz, obviously last time we watched him, he beat Jaden. Uh, this match was kind of similar. Sharp, uh, Cruz dominated early. Sharp made a comeback. Cruz hit a knee for a two count. Sharp rolled up Cruz for a two count. Uh, Cruz hit Sharp with no more sorrow, but picked him up and then hit him with the burning hammer, which the conference mentioned was a uh, ode to Jaden or a way to taunt Jaden. Jordan Cruz was your winner in 439. Pretty much a squash match for Cruz to uh, show his dominance and his new heel persona. He wins again in four minutes and 39 seconds. I mean, the crowd was, like, super jacked for this match. Every move either guy did got, like, really massive cheers. It was uh, massive cheers. It was a very hot crowd all night, I will say that. Um, You know, I think they're doing a really good job of this monster push of Jordan Cruz, and I think Cruz is doing a good job of playing the role. Indie promotions really rarely do monster heels who steamroll dudes. So I think as key, as a unique attraction, I like what they are doing with them. Uh, this was, I mean, essentially a squash. Uh, Sharp did a little better than Jaden did on our last Prestige show, but pretty well got, yeah, got beaten under five minutes. So I think 
we're still very early in what they're going to do with Cruz, but so far it's been done pretty well. Yeah, I think this is, you know, you said that doesn't happen a lot. I think part of the reason why is because of match length. You know, people want to have minimum 12-minute matches. And so if you're going to have a 12-minute match, you have to have it be more back and forth. So um, you can't have a squash match that because that long as it kind of makes sense because you just have someone beating up someone for forever and ever. But, yeah, Cruz is getting a push. It's kind of a monster heel, getting pushed as a jerk. I thought the crowd was really into a lot of the matches, but here definitely, as you said before. And, um, yeah, we'll see where the prestige goes with Jordan Cruz in the future. The next match was for the Prestige World Tag Team title. Sinner and Saint, Travis Williams and Judas Icarus versus the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Joel Nelson and Royce Isaacs. Not used to the West Coast Wrecking Crew being babyfaces, but they were huge babyfaces here. And uh, this was a really excellent match. Uh, they were the babyfaces. Sinner and Saint were the heels. I feel the crowd really helped this match because they were almost silent during some of Sinner and Saint's bigger moves because they didn't want them to win. And even though they did some spectacular moves, some dives, there was brawling outside. The crowd, you know, wasn't caught up in the move. They don't like Sinner and Saint. They've seen them cheat a lot of time. They cheated to win the, the titles in the first place against C4. So they weren't happy for them. The match pulled down to Gerald uh, Nelson being on the top rope and he got knocked over to the outside. Isaacs fought in his own for a while uh, Sinner and Saint went for a low blow. It ended up being blocked. It then ended up happening, I think, but I didn't quite see it. I know there was a camera angle where it looked like Isaacs got hit low, but it wasn't really obvious for me anyway. Justin, I guess you could talk in a minute if you saw it. This led them to hit the killing blow, and Sinner and Saint won in 16 minutes and 26 seconds to retain the Prestige Tag Team titles. Uh, excellent match that I really enjoyed. Me too. I thought this was just a tremendous tag team match probably my second favorite match on the show which based on what came in first is, is uh you know nothing wrong no shame in that uh west coast wrecking it's crew, what came in third that might be an issue but anyway we'll get to that right. later yeah yeah oh, i know shoot now i gotta think of what came in third but nevertheless uh west coast wrecking crew they came out to california love by tupac lots of teams use it or wrestlers use it for a very good reason. It's an awesome entrance scene. Um, Nelson and Icarus started. Uh, Nelson, as the face, just steamrolled Icarus early. Um, and I thought Nelson looked great. His offense was just really crisp and, and fast. Um, he tossed Icarus all the way across the ring on a belly-to-belly suplex, suplex, then hit a big dive to the floor. Um, Travis Williams came in and... You know, Isaac, so Royce Isaacs came in and uh, West Coast Wrecking Crew double teamed Williams. Uh, they just really were just beating and beating on Williams until Icarus had to run in, uh, stop, trying to stomp on Isaacs, who had Williams in a submission. Isaacs didn't budge for several of the stops. Um, they did this really great uh, move, sort of series of moves where Williams and Isaacs kept like flipping over each other um, until they until somehow Isaac or excuse me Nelson ended up between Williams and Icarus and he fell prey to a double team drop kick it was like a really cool and unique way to get the heat on the on the face guy for a while um, they uh, so uh, Isaacs 
or excuse me, yeah, Isaacs was the face in peril for a while. Uh, Sinner and Saint went for a spiked angel's wings, but Isaacs kicked Icarus away. He escaped from Williams' grasp and then sort of pounced Icarus into Williams. It was really great. I didn't make it sound as great as it was. Um, they did another really perfectly timed move where Isaacs ducked a double clothesline, turned around and dropped both Sinner and Saint with Lariat. Sinner and Saint did a really, like you said, even though they're heels, they did some very spectacular face stuff, like this face move where Williams uh, was trying to dive on Isaacs. Isaacs literally ran like 90 degrees to the other to the other side of the ring, but Icarus, while Williams was running the ropes, Icarus whipped his partner that also 90 degrees to make the dive. It was really awesome, but also a total face move, so it didn't really work in Sinner and Saint's like current characters. Um, basically, the end, I'm pretty sure, I thought the end was pretty clever. Um, the idea was the um, Williams had taken the ref, but just like almost ran into him, so the ref cowered. Williams knocked Isaacs into Icarus's elbow and like basically into a low blow, but like not a very blatant one. He just sort of, like I said, sort of shouldered him right in the groin. Um, it was not, you know, it wasn't like one of those crazy obvious, like how did the ref miss that kind of moves, which there are a couple of those later in the show. Um, I, I, one of my pet peeves at the end, Cinder and Saint did a double, double pin, not like they weren't both laying on the guy, but one was clearly pressing on the other. Of course, I don't, I don't like that finish, but I loved everything else about this match. Um, yeah, I haven't. We haven't seen West Coast Wrecking Crew in a while, but I thought they looked incredible, a whole other level than what we've seen them before. And I thought Center and Saint looked really good as well. Um, I thought it was good. The cheating wasn't like over the top, like we see in a lot of indie matches. It was more subtle. Um, Prestige really has some great tag team wrestling that we see every show. Um, and this this is just another one, another outstanding match. And uh, they announced that uh, Prestige, at their next show, that they'll be defending the titles against C4. They won the titles from a few uh, weeks ago. And, yeah, I think it was a great tag team match. I, for one, definitely like there to be heels, to be heels and have heels. Now, obviously, you don't want it to be too over the top, but subtlety... uh, it helps, but yeah, and the crowd really helped too because they didn't want Sinner and Saint to win. The uh, next match, uh, Ray Harus comes out. He's supposed to wrestle Mascara Dorada. Ray Harus came out with a title, though I wasn't sure what title he has. But I was excited to see Ray Harus as a champion, one of my favorites. And uh, they announced that he was going to have a mystery opponent, and his mystery opponent was Black Taurus, who came from the balcony. This is only the second single match they've ever had. The other one was in 2019 at a Black Label Pro show. They've been in several tag matches, both in the United States and Mexico. This is the match that I alluded to earlier when I said that this was a match for my birthday. I actually was, uh, I actually saw before I watched this match on Sunday that Black Tarus was the um, mystery opponent, and I thought Prestige Wrestling is giving me a birthday present. Because these are two of my favorite wrestlers, uh, Luchadors, and they put them in a match together. Harus took advantage early, uh, hitting Tarus with chair shots on the outside. Tarus had a pounce to regain control. 
the commentators kept going on and on about Harus not winning in prestige, which I thought was a uh, sign of things to come. Harus hit a top rope, her Karana, and around the sun for a two count. He went for it again, but Harus hit an avalanche. Harus driver for a two count. Harus recovered for the hit of Poison Rana for a two count. Went for the around the sun again off the top rope. He missed it, uh, but and hit a and uh, he hit a lariat. Tarus hit a lariat for a two count. They had a series of moves leading with the power bull and um, all these moves. And Tarus, and Harus kicked out. And I thought yes. They talked about how he's never won in prestige. This is his chance to win. And then Tarus hit the power bull again. And he was your winner in 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Obviously. Um, so good matches on the show, but I love this match because these are two of my favorites put together. And on, I thought Ray Harus would be on top, but he was not, even though the commentators led me to believe that. I guess that's good commentating. Uh, he was valiant at the end and kicking a lot of moves, but Black Tarus was too much. And he was your winner in 16 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, I will say much more than the opener. I was very surprised that Ray Harus, who's a regular in prestige lost to the surprise guest Black Taurus. Especially because I think Harus is more of the... I mean, it was another like pretty well face-face match, but I definitely think a Harus is a, a total face, don't you? Yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah, I would say that. But I would say it's more babyface... I would say it's kind of more of a babyface, babyface matchup. But yeah. I agree with you. Uh, I mean, this this was also uh, early on, I think early on in the podcast, I think even when it was still honor speak, uh, we had a very important rhyming match where uh, Moose fought Juice, as in Juice Robinson. Um, this is probably, I think, our biggest rhyming match since then, right? Horus versus Black Tarus. So I, I think so. And I think that match was the first match that we did that was not a Ring of Honor match or involve someone on Ring of Honor because we were just like, or maybe me, I talked you into it. <laughs> no, I mean, I was very excited. I mean, I, I felt it needed to be done. Uh, it was on the New Japan show. It was a good match, too. Um, neither here nor there. This this was a very good match, though. I like this a lot. Um, it was um, Tarus early missed a corner charge. He went tumbling to the floor, and Harus followed with a crisp dive that sent Tarus into a bunch of chairs. Harus did, did a diving Rana to flip Tarus into more chairs. It's not a great night for chairs. Then it was weird because he whacked Tarus with a chair and tossed it right at him. So relaxed rules, I guess, in this uh, match. Uh, Tarus did a, black, a shoulder block and Harus did a 360 sell off of it. Looked like he Hurt his knee, but I think that was just selling. Tarus did a devastating spinning back fist. It was so hard that Jordan Castle actually screamed, oh, mama, when it hit. Um, and then Tarus did a long delayed suplex where he even flexed one bicep while holding Harus with, with just one arm. Um, Harus did a running tope over the ring post to do a flip dive onto Tarus. That was super nuts. Um Tarus did the avalanche Tarus driver like it was like a press slam but it looked scary because he almost dropped Horus on his head but managed to get the twist so he landed on his back it, my heart though was quite pounding after that one 
Uh, like you, I rather thought this was another awesome match. Is not as much high flying as you see often in Ray Harus matches, but he did some, and Tarus got to look awesome as a powerhouse. I thought, you know, even though I was surprised and not sure it was the right right decision to put him over, I thought he looked great in going over. The next match was Alex Shelley, Kevin Blackwood, and Tiger Mask versus Adrian Quest. And Los Suavecitos, Danny Rose, and Ricky G. Alex Shelley is the prestige champion. Also uh, appeared on Impact the day before. Uh, this match was like your standard special guest, middle of the show, pre-intermission uh, tag team match. I thought that, and it was fine. I just that's, thought that's what it was between a heel team and a couple of baby faces and Tiger Mask being obviously the special guest. Similar to other matches, the commentators were going on and on about Kevin Blackwood being someone who should be uh, thought of pretty highly in prestige and that uh, mentioned his match with Roderick Strong and some other things. So I thought this would lead to a Kevin Blackwood victory or he would get the win. Incorrect. Uh, One thing I did find hilarious in this match was that it was kind of, you know, the Shelly Blackwood Tiger Mask team were baby faces, and then Shelly raked the eyes of one of the members of the opposing team, and then it turned into a brawl. And then the competition were like, "Well, I can't believe these guys are fighting outside." I'm like, "Well, Alex Shelly just cheated, so all bets are off at this point." Yeah. Anyway, they got back into the ring. Eventually, this is eventually the uh, baby faces got control. Tiger Mask hit the Tiger Driver, uh, I believe, on Danny Rose, and. Uh, he won for his team. Shelly, Blackwood, and Tiger Mask were your winners in 14 minutes and 8 seconds. As I said, good standard six-man tag team match uh, on an independent show to give a highlight to uh, a visiting wrestler. So, yeah, I don't have, like, a lot of emotional connection to Tiger Mask, so this was not... Um, to me, it wasn't as excited as some Legends matches, but I thought it was nice that they did treat him like a legend and and the fans obviously were very excited to see him. And I thought he can still go. Like there are sometimes he did some, a couple of things and you're like, Oh, he has been wrestling for 30 years, but um, overall he, I thought, you know, he did well. Um, They built well to tiger mass entrance. It started with, you know, Kevin Blackwood against Danny Rose. They did a little bit then Shelly and, Ricky G took a turn, and finally Tiger Mask made his grand entrance to to a huge pop, took on Adrian Quest, um, pretty immediately gave him a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Um, Like you said, Shelly cheated a little. All six guys brawled around the ring. It was impossible to follow, but it didn't last for very long. Um, Tiger Mask wanted a Tiger Bomb, but the Suavecitos double-teamed him to stop it. Tiger Mask did this reverse mule kick to Adrian Quest. Um, I would say at this point, I was like, I don't know if Tiger Mask moves all that great anymore. But as I typed that, he did this double underhook overhead throw off the top rope, which was a crazy bump for a guy of any age, but especially his age to take. Um, After he did it, though, he took a knee for a while and just kind of watched Blackwood and Quest go at it. Well, he's still in the ring, but just like kneeling and just like you guys can... Like, I need a second, guys. Um, you know, I thought it was almost a 
wasn't quite a squash for the faces, but the faces definitely dominated. And it was all about building to big moments for Tiger Mask. And so it's just kind of a feel-good match. The fans ate it up, so it was a success. And that was the uh, last match before intermission. After that match, uh, Chris Sabin versus Alan Angels. Again, two wrestlers who appear in uh, TNA. Alan Angels came out to with Sinner and Saint, but they went to the back. More on them later. Um, the commentators talked about the match being an opportunity for Angels to wrestle an idol. They also talked about how Angels was... Uh, kind of screwed out of the prestige title in the four-way with Saban, Alexander, and Nick Wayne, as we talked about at the time. We thought that he wasn't really being a heel in that match, and he kind of was not really put in the best position to... He actually was put in a position to get sympathy, which we didn't think was the best way to go. Um, obviously, this match leads <laughs> in a, you to a different conclusion. They start off wrestling, but Angels gets more aggressive. He continually works over Saban's arm. Back and forth match. Sinner and Saint, who left at the beginning, they've returned. Travis Williams grabs Saban, which I thought shouldn't that be a disqualification? Guess not. It's not. He gets knocked down. Judas Igarus gets on the apron. He gets knocked down as well. Saban hits a Styles clash for a two count. Saban sets up Angels for the cradle shock, but he ends up diving. Uh, on all of them on the outside. And so it looks like he's going to win. He rolls Angels back into the ring. Angels kicks the middle rope, hits the halo kick, followed by the Angels' wings, and Al Angels is your winner in 1558. Al Angels and Sinner Sano called the noise. They attacked Kushida. Sorry, they attacked Chris Sabin, and then this allowed the time splitters, Kushida and Al Chud, to run out. Why didn't they run out there when they were attacking him in the match? I don't know, but they ran out now. Uh, this fight was broken up by security, so that feud will continue. But um, I like the fact that this match established Alan Angels is more of a heel after the last match. And he was your winner over Chris Saban in 15 minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought Angels came off looking quite despicable. And I think a very, I think he's an excellent heel. He does a, a lot of great stuff and a lot of different promotions to make people boo him so it's, it's a really hard skill and he's good at it uh these days um this was i mean this was a fine this a fine match but it was what i was referring to earlier where there was unlike the west coast wrecking crew center and saint match there's a lot more very like blatant obvious cheating that a lot of it was like right in front of the ref and there's like how how is this going to keep going um they did some very great mat stuff to start, which Saban ultimately controlled. Um, they tried to do like shoulder, kept shoulder tackling each other, and and neither would go down. Um, finally, they both actually tried to crisscross and both did a double down, which you usually don't see, and then popped up and each did a double drop kick. Saban actually did like three spinning neck breakers in short order, which is kind of weird. You don't. See, guys do a lot of neck breakers in the match. He also did the classic 10 punches in the corner, except Angels was staring out at the crowd. So he's sort of punching him in the back of the head. It was um, a unique visual. I think there's a reason why they do it the other way, though. Um, 
Angels, to my delight, did a, did two different crucifixes in this match, but neither one got the pin, unfortunately. Um, Saban tried to slide out like a baseball slide. Angels caught him in the ring apron and did like a sort of 619 style kick to really take control. He trapped Saban's hand in the ring apron and then beat on him with a um, sliding drop kick that was definitely unique. Um, Saban came back. He went for his cradle, um, uh, cradle shock, but Angels attacked his injured arms, um, put him in the halo stretch, which I think is a lot like the old rings of Saturn that Perry Saturn used. Um, they traded soup like a, Saban did a German suplex, but Angels popped up and hit Saban with a, a Snapdragon suplex. Uh, both guys were down. Timeless like a fine wine, said Jordan Castle. This is a point where Center and Sate came out, kind of as one would expect, uh, but save, but um, literally pulled Angels off of Saban's shoulder when Saban was trying to do the cradle shock. Um, it was... Saban was getting in the ring. Angels kicked the ropes into his groin, and Castle tried to explain how that would be technically legal, but it did not make sense because I'm pretty sure anything like that would at least be some kind of foul. Um, but alas, it was not here. Angels' wings got the pin. I thought it was a good match, but felt like it didn't get into a higher gear. A higher gear it could have. I think the interference of Sinner and Saint was predictably annoying, but it clearly set Angels up as this heel, and Angels, I think, obviously is going to face uh, Shelly, who's Saban's best friend, get a one-on-one -on -one title shot, I would assume, at a show fairly soon. He is, actually. Um, oh. You seem to have jumped the gun. Well, I jumped the gun, but you, you're right. So I mentioned this before. The next prestige wrestling show, Alive 2, which is on March 24th, is Alex Shelley versus Alan Angels. It is also Sinner and Saint versus C4 in a two out of three falls match. And uh, Jaden versus Jordan Cruz. Well, I two of the three of those matches make sense. I'm not sure why they would do Jaden Cruz again, but... Um, well, there could be a storyline. I mean, they could say he was out after the last match on this last show and He's back for revenge. Um, That's true. Yeah. There's a purpose there. The next match, penultimate match, Jordan Grace versus Sandra Moon. Jordan Grace, the TNA Women's Champion, did not bring her belt with her. More on that later. Uh, this match was all right. Um, the key thing to me was uh, Jordan Grace pretty much in control. The commentators, it, it was funny, they... But they kind of talked up, you know, people like Sonico or Kevin Blackwood or Ray Harus is not winning. We'll put them over strong. But when they talk about Sandra Moon, they kind of made it seem like her losses are more her fault, that she didn't, she didn't take the match seriously. But um, Grace really controlled most of this match. She ended up winning with a juggernaut driver. Uh, she almost looked scary when she lifted her up that she wasn't going to quite get her, but she was able to get her down. Big ovation, a lot of mentions of her appearing at the Royal Rumble. Jordan Grace is your winner in 11 minutes and 28 seconds. Yeah, this was 
a, this was a decent enough power match. Um, it was a rare case where Moon was not the most powerful person in the match. That was kind of the story of the match. She wasn't sure how to deal with uh, Jordan Grace being stronger. Uh, Moon tried to shoulder tackle and just bounced off Grace, like hitting a brick wall, and Grace just sort of brushed off her shoulder, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, Moon tried again, but Grace just booted her in the gut. Um, Moon, however, did a high flying like kip up over Moon um, over Grace and nailed her with a finally nailed her with a shoulder tackle, but that only got a one count. Um, a lot of, like a lot of like you said, big powerhouse spots. Uh, Moon dove through uh, the ropes, um, hitting Grace with a, a cross body that sent her against a chair. Um, Grace gave Moon a, a running muscle buster for muscle buster for a two count. Um, Grace got this massive stacked up power bomb that still only got two. Um, she had Moon in a DV like Death Valley driver position, rammed her head into the turn buckles a couple times. I always think that's really cool. Moon got the Blue Thunder Bomb, aka the Moon Thunder Bomb. I was so hopeful that was going to be the finish because it's a good pun, and also, of course, I love to see the Blue Thunder Bomb get pin people. Uh, alas, that did not. Um, Grace's finisher, I did not think looked all that great. The Juggernaut Driver, like, like she almost looked like she dropped her, but managed to save it before getting the pin. Um, perhaps she wasn't as used to doing it on as um, strong and big a person as Sandra Moon. Um, I over, I think Jordan Grace is on a pretty good run between the Rumble and, and what she's doing in TNA. And I thought, I mean, I thought this match was good, not great. Um, but overall, it was a, a nice power match. The main event of the show is uh, Mike Bailey wrestling against the new TNA X Division champion, Mustafa Ali, he defeated Chris Sabin at No Surrender. More uh, TNA influence. The first few minutes of the match were just the crowd applauding for both wrestlers. I don't know what to say about this match other than it was phenomenal. And it was really athletic. And I don't have a lot of matches. Justin will go over the moves in a minute. I don't have a lot of matches where I say, if you can find this match, find it, get on IWTV. Uh, Prestige might put it up on their streaming on YouTube uh, eventually. Um, If you like independent wrestling, you like great matches. This has, this has all that you would like to, uh, to see. And, um, I really like the fact that Mustafa Ali did not was able to move out of the way of the ultimate weapon, something that I've questioned a lot of wrestlers. Uh, he moved out of the way of the ultimate weapon. He ended up hitting Mike Bailey with a 450 splash, and he won in four minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, after the match, he cut a promo saying he thought Mike Bailey was an awful leader because he's running for president, apparently, Mustafa Ali. But he said that Bailey proved to him that wrestling needed men like Mike Bailey. He said of all the matches that he talked about on his uh, tour, that this was the one that had the most interest and that um, Bailey, Ali said that Bailey has respect of sooner or later, they would fight over the TNA exhibition title. After watching this match, I'm sure TNA will be booking it very quickly. Uh, He also said, Ali said he would also be coming to prestige wrestling again 
in April, and he would be wrestling Kevin Blackwood, which might be why he was talked up so much in the commentary. And Ollie finishes by saying, and everyone would say after he wrestled Blackwood, in Ali we trust. A phenomenal match, phenomenal match, phenomenal match. Mustafa Ali is your winner in 24 minutes and 36 seconds. Yes, absolutely incredible, phenomenal match. Um, I am. I don't understand quite what this Ali for president thing is. I don't go on his Twitter, I guess, enough to really understand exactly what's going on. But the announcers kind of bought into it too much. They did a lot of like political jokes and analogies during this match that kind of got on my nerves. There's also like there's always a fine line between making sure people know like a match is is great and kind of your praise becoming so effusive that it becomes annoying and they cross that line here uh literally as they were coming out jordan castle said there are moments that will stick with you until your dying days this is one of those moments which i like wrestling a lot but i hope there are moments that stick with me to my dying days that um are bigger than wrestling i hope um also it's just a weird thing to say um I, i hope so i hope so too yeah. Um, so, yeah, like you said, they spent basically like two minutes getting crowd cheers. Um, There's lots of arm drags and arm work for a couple minutes. Um, Bailey finally nailed Ali with a kick to the jaw and sent him out of the ring with the speedball kicks. Bailey then nailed Ali with a bicycle kick. Um, he did the triangle moonsault in the very narrow area between the ring and the chairs. Great aim. I don't, I, you know, when the, you have those real narrow areas, you're like, man, I don't know how they don't whack their knees more often. Um, Bailey, Bailey then sat Ali in the chair, kicked him, um, then actually literally sat him on the fan at ringside for the fan to hold so Bailey could uh, kick him again. Crazy interactive experience here at Prestige Wrestling. Um, Bailey tried a top rope Rana, but Ali caught him, dropped him face first on the top turnbuckle. Um, Ali then did a 450 splash onto Bailey's arm. Um, so Ali worked the arm quite a bit. Um, Bailey dodged this somersault neckbreaker and got Ali in an arm bar. Um, Ali was trying to spinning cross body. Bailey kicked him out of midair right in the right in the head it was a crazy but incredible move um bailey did a running shooting star press for a two count um ali then hit a tornado ddt started stomping the crap out of bailey's elbow again um uh, bailey did the standing moonsault double knees to ali's chest which you know he didn't do the ultimate weapon but i think I don't know, that move has to hurt at least as much. Um, and then, because Bailey indeed does hate his knees, um, he did the standing, another standing moonsault on the apron. He missed, and which he almost always does. Even Jordan Castle said that Mike Bailey's knees are going to be ground to a fine powder, which is the same thing I always think about when he misses something like that. Um Ali then did, I said, a bonkers Tope Suicida. He crashed into Bailey hard, sending him into a bunch of chairs. Uh, Bailey came up with a chair wrapped around his body, like his head was through the back part, and he just ran it, charged Ali with the chair. Um, 
still attached to his body. They did this awesome spot. I'll leave and post this on Twitter for all to see because it really was just incredible. Ali was trying to do a sliding drop kick with Bailey on the apron. Bailey jumped up. So Ali slid under him to the floor, but Bailey jumped up all the way up onto the top rope and then did a moonsault. Um, just just perfectly timed, just a breathtaking move. It was incredible. Um, Bailey went for the ultimate weapon, but Ali kicked him in the midsection coming down. Um, they brawled, ended up brawling off top. Ali dropped Bailey's arm on the top rope. Uh, Bailey, though, ended up doing a super poison Rana. Uh, Ali caught Bailey in a cozy cutch on the kickout. They called it the Pledge of Allegiance. I guess playing off whatever this president thing is going to be. Um, Bailey hit his super kick. He hit his tornado kick. I didn't think he was going to make that, but he did. But then again, his ultimate weapon misses, which good for Ali's back, but bad for Bailey's poor knees. Uh, and then Ali hit his 450. Like, I mean, I can't say enough good things about this match. It really was just awesome. These guys went all out. Uh, tremendous performance. Uh, definitely match of the night. And that was Prestige Wrestling's A Moment of Violence. They referenced two shows that they were going to have coming up. The one in March, the next one in Rosalind 8, which is where Ali will fight Kevin Blackwood. So... Prestige, one of our favorites on um, one of our favorites here, and this show did not disappoint. So definitely really enjoyed the show. I think one thing I always talk about independent wrestling is giving interest for future matches. They did that, having matches that people will, you know, quote unquote buzzworthy matches. Obviously, we spoke at nauseum about Ali and. Uh, Bailey, but you also had the match between Ray Harus and Black Tarus, and also you had the uh, tag team match, which was really good as well. And they also, I don't want to leave out Sonico and um, Ishida as well. So yeah, this is a really enjoyable show. I think Prestige is one of the best independent promotions out there, and they did a really good job here on not only highlighting their um, current product, their current wrestlers, advancing storylines, but also giving matches that will have a lot of buzz. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the show. Yes, I thought this was a heck of a show. Just top to bottom, really great, awesome matches. Uh, almost all of them, I thought, got a real good time to show off what they could do. You know, the notable short one, uh, the uh, Jordan Cruz match, was served, I think, a greater purpose of getting Cruz over as a monster heel. Um, like I said, I think Prestige usually produces some of the best tag matches that we see. Just, but oh, I mean, Bailey, Ali, I mean, that any promotion could have that match, but it's it was so incredible to watch. They are the ones who did have it though. So, I mean, yeah, I would definitely go on my way to watch this show. I thought this this was pretty well great all the way through. And. Yeah, so definitely high recommendations. Again, that's available on IWTV. Uh, I'm sure at some point some of those matches, Prestige will release them. But but, uh, highly recommended show. Next week, Justin and I are going to be talking about uh, another very well-respected independent promotion. We've talked about the, the home of their shows, and they've moved back to Triller TV. And that is House of Glory Wrestling Reckoning. 
which will have Penta El Zero Miedo versus Santana for the World Championship for House of Glory. Mustafa Ali's tour continues, and he'll be wrestling someone from the show. Alex Shelley will uh, be his opponent on the show. La Sombra will wrestle Lance Anuahi for the Crown Jewel Championship. La Sombra won that from Charles Mason, who will be wrestling Midas Black on the show, one half of the main event and one half of the House of Glory Tag Team Champions. And so, yeah, we're excited to do that show next week for uh, for all of you. For our VIP listeners this week, we are going to Texas, where we went last week for our VIP show. This time, we'll be discussing Game Changer Wrestling's Touch the Sky. We'll be talking about the Tag Team Championship match between Bounces Forever versus Monster Sauce, Lance Archer, and Alex Zane. Bounces Forever is Kevin Koo and Dominic Garini. And a Texas Bull Rope match between Ali Catch and Mance Warner. So that is our conversation for VIP listeners. Also, uh, next week and in subsequent weeks, we'll talk more about my whatever shows I end up attending in uh, Philadelphia, as well as hopefully have more announcements for the Independent Wrestling Hall of Fame. But uh, before we do that, uh, that will be coming up in future weeks. We're going to go now to our uh, VIP portion of the show. Before we do that, Justin, do you have any plugs? As always, we'd love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to drop us a line at torchcoasttocoast at gmail.com. If you have any issues you'd like us to discuss, questions to ask that we could answer, or promotions or matches we should check out, please uh, write us. It's torchcoasttocoast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, uh, mostly lurking at jmcclelland1, J-M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D-1. And I'm on Twitter at Mind of Maitland, where uh, I'll be tweeting. Maybe about, maybe about how Yoshihashi or Goto should win the New Japan Cup. Perhaps. Which Isn't sh- one of them Mr. New Japan Cup? Uh, yes, Goto has the most New Japan Cup wins. I think uh, didn't Sonata win it? Sonata might have one or two less. But I think, I think Goto still has the most New Japan Cup wins. Always plug for my favorite Ben wrestler, Hiroshi, uh, Hiroki Goto. Now we're going to go to uh, talk about those matches from Game Changer Wrestlings for our VIP listeners. To become a VIP member, check out membership info at pwtorch.com slash govip. The daily cast are presented with ads and plugs removed, plus VIP exclusive content, 35 plus years of newsletter archives, 15 plus years of podcast archives, and hundreds of retro radio shows from the 1990s, plus daily VIP exclusive podcasts, a new weekly newsletter, and an ad-free web browser experience. Again, that's pwtorch.com slash govip. Just McClelland, I'm Chris Maitland. Thank you, AMR, and thank you, Aunt Millie, and thank you to all of our Daily Cast listeners. We'll be back next week to talk about House of Glories, The Reckoning. But now it's time for VIP. And we're here on VIP, Justin. Hello, VIP listeners. Thanks for joining us. And we will be venturing for VIP to Dallas, Texas. Gilly's Nightclub. I believe we actually have seen independent shows there. I believe this so. Is, yeah, at the aforementioned uh, WrestleMania 32 weekend. Yeah, uh, Evolve was there, I believe. Yeah. And uh, here 
is Game Changer Wrestling's here, and they're having touched the sky. This took place on February 23rd, 2024, aired on Triller TV. Uh, one of these matches I liked, one of these matches I didn't like. Um, we'll talk about them in order of when they took place, which is the match that I liked first. And that is the match for the GCW Tag Team Championship. Violence for, is forever. Kevin Kuh and Dominic Greeny are your tag team champions. They're wrestling Monster Sauce. Lance Archer and Alex Zane, a team thrown together for New Japan's Real World Tag League, who are now taking independent uh, tag team matches. They wrestled just the week prior on the Wrestling Revolver show that we discussed for our VIP listeners last week. We didn't discuss their match, so we discussed the match here. Um, Bounces Forever is where the heels, Monster Sauce are more the baby faces. The Lance Archer is a big, dominating dude. Alex Zane was your face in peril for the beginning part. And then Lance Archer time tagged in. Really good back and forth match that I enjoyed. Um, I I watched this right after watching the tag team match from Prestige. So it didn't really measure up to that. And also I thought the finish was a little bit kind of clunky. I I watched it twice to see how Lance Lance Archer, who had just uh, chokeslammed people, had disappeared. But he was knocked out of the ring by Kevin Crew. Kevin Crew. Kevin Koo. Leaving Alex Zane with Violence Forever, they end up hitting hitting him with a Chasing the Dragon, and Violence Forever retain the tag team titles in 11 minutes and 31 seconds. After the match, there was a setup for the Joe Janelle Spring Break in Philadelphia, which I will not be at because that show starts too late, and I need to get my sleep because I'm old. And setting up a GCW tag team match with Violence Forever defending against Jacob Fatu and Zilla Fatu. Uh, Los Mazizos, former champions, as well as the Bollywood Boys. Bavances Forever comes out on top here, uh, defeating Monster Sauce in 11 minutes and 31 seconds. I did the same thing as you did. I was baffled by the end because it's just like Archer, it felt like he vanished. And unlike on rewatch, I realized Kube had like, Archer went for a choke slam, Kube drop kicked him, and then Archer sort of flew to the floor, but it didn't really make sense in the context of that move. But to the floor he went, and Koo gave him a baseball slide that essentially took him out. Koo held him back when Garini went for the cover, too. But um match was okay. It was almost, it was weird. It was like Violence is Forever just beat and beat on Zane, and then occasionally Archer would come in and beat on them, but then Zane would just end up being the face in peril again. Um, you know, it started with Garini and Zane. Zane actually controlled early. He did this front head scissor roll, but ran into a Garini chop. This led to a chop off ensuing. Uh, then Koo just charged in and started clubbing on Zane, causing Archer to come in. And um, he squished both Violences Forever members in the corner. Um, Zane was slammed on top of Garini for a two count. Uh, Koo caught Archer trying to boot him off the apron and gave him a dragon screw leg whip with the rope assist. A backbreaker knee, knee drop combo to Zane got a two count. Um, Koo did this kind of elaborate leg lock thing while stomping on Alex Zane's head repeatedly. Um, Zane was draped on the top rope and Kevin Koo nailed him with the knee to the back. This is where I was like, man, Zane's getting beat on a lot here. Um, Koo just sort of toyed with Zane, sort of pawing at him with his foot, and that let Zane finally hit his spinning lariat. 
um, get the hot tag to Archer. Archer ran wild for a bit. Um, they did this cool sidewalk slam. Like Archer did a sidewalk slam while Zane did a midair somersault coming down on Greeny. That was a really cool double team. Archer tried to choke slam Zane onto Greeny, but uh, Greeny caught Zane in a triangle choke as he was coming down. Koo then, so we had a double submission because Koo put Archer in a sleeper, but uh, Archer naturally tossed Koo onto Dom to break up the latter submission attempt. Um, Violence is Forever gave Zane a total, basically a total elimination, except it was a, a flying knee. Uh, which Emil J noted was almost elimination, but not total elimination, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, let's see. Archer again made the saves. Uh, they did a Samoan drop flying neckbreaker combo, combo to Garini. Um, this pretty well led to the finish. Uh, it was it was kind of a sudden ending. I thought it was sort of weird. It was like, you know, it was a good match. I think Violence is Forever are a really good heel tag team. But yeah, uh, it couldn't it was not as good as the west coast wrecking crew centers and saint match but it was it was fine yeah as i said the you know i watched the angle afterwards i feel like this is really more of a setup for boss forever to get a a, a win over a, a a newer team but a known team obviously just coming off the new japan tag league to set them up for their next opponents at the uh joy janela spring break so that was the setup. Um, we may have sounded a little bit down on that match, but um, that match was... I enjoyed that match more than I enjoyed the next one. And I... Maybe you understood this match, what happened? Um, um, not really. So, the next match we're talking about was the Texas Bull Rope match between Ali Catch and Mance Warner, where uh, you're tied... Uh, the rules are you're tied to each other and you have to touch all four corners, right? I didn't think it was a four. Was it a four corners? I thought it was a pinfall match. It's a pinfall match. And you just okay. Maybe I'm confusing that with something else. But anyway, so this match is GCW all over the place. It's it's a main event, so nothing's happened afterwards. Um, and I watched this two or three times because I was very confused at what happened. Uh, I was running late, so I watched it once. Okay. But Mance, Mance Warner hits Alley Catch with uh, a chair on the head and uh, scissors. Effie comes out. Obviously, Effie and Mance Warner are in a feud. They He attacks uh, Warner. Effie attacks Warner. Alley Catch goes to hit. Warner, Warner Ducks, in wrestling, always hit them in the middle. Why go by the head? But anyway, this leads to Warner handcuffing Effie to the ring, beating up Catch some more. Allie Catch's mom comes out, lays on top of her. Warner leaves, but then he comes back, and then he hits uh, Allie Catch's mom with scissors. Then it looks like he's going to attack him again, and then a bunch of people run out, and he leaves again. And then the show ends. So Cage Match said this was a no contest. So that's what I'm going to say. Uh, Mance Warren's a diabolical heel, but I can't remember the last time I watched the match when I was confused at what happened. Uh, this match was a no contest in 23 minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, it was, 
you know, I've been a big fan of the Effie Mance Warner feud. I, you know, it GCW's built it. I thought very well. They had their first match that ended in a no contest, which is like okay. Obviously, this is gonna a match with, or this is a feud with gonna have multiple matches. So this that's a way to to extend it, even though it's kind of weird. This promotion where. You always there's no DQs, so always clean finishes. Just have matches without finishes. And I was thinking like Mance Warder actually like all the matches we've seen since his heel turn, which not all of them, but like no, we haven't seen all of them. But we saw him face Dan the Dad. We saw him face um, Effie for the first time, and we saw him face Alley Catch. And none of them he's actually gone over in. They always end in DQs or no contests. Which I think is super weird. I don't understand why he didn't just get the pin here. It would it would make sense in the context he beat up Effie's best friend, so now Effie has additional reasons to not like him or you know to want revenge. Um, it was a decent enough deathmatch gore fest early. There were a lot of skewer work involved. Mance tried to jam a skewer under Ali's fingernail, which is pretty gross. And also tried to pierce her cheek at one point. Uh, I do think Mance is on a real hot streak. And as a heel should probably win the GCW title soon. But it's kind of weird because Blake Christian is also a heel. And the champ, I'm not sure how you would... It's, it would move the title to Mance. And I, I'm not just like pie in the sky in that. Like they've, they've talked about how Mance is obsessed with winning that title. So it seems like he's going to get a title shot down the road the ending the ending was dumb i thought for a lot of reasons like when you say hit with scissors i think you would think they jabbed someone with the sharp end but in fact ali tried to hit mance with the handle part of the scissors which are the safest part of scissors they, they weren't even like giant scissors why not just have like a hammer or something at that point um also, like, Mance just kind of arbitrarily took the bull rope off, which defeats the whole purpose of the bull rope match where you're supposed to be tied to your opponent and you can't escape. Um, so, yeah, I don't – I also, like you, I didn't quite understand what they were going for in this match. I thought they could have done it a lot better than how they ended up, but – Obviously, it's just another chapter in the ongoing Mance-Effie feud. Yeah, and I'm fine with the chapter. I'm fine that they had their first match and that they're trying to show the diabolical nature of Mance Warner ready to abuse someone that he was linked with before. It just, you're watching it and it's just not... If you're watching a match and you're not exactly sure what's happening, then it doesn't really resonate with you in the way that it should. Absolutely, yeah. Because I watched it twice to be like, and again, I checked, I checked after the fact that cage, cage match had as no contest because I watched it to see did I miss a, was there a bell that wrong that I missed or something that made it very clear because this is the main event of the show, so it goes off the air. Basically, what happens is a bunch of wrestlers, um, one of which I believe was Manders. Alan Price and Cole Radrick, maybe someone else, run out there and Manders walks off and they end the show, but we don't really have a resolution to what happens. I don't know if that'll come up at the next GCW show, hopefully, because um, this actually, the angle that they've had 
with Warner and Effie has been pretty good. It's one that we've enjoyed. And obviously it's progressing probably through spring break, uh, through uh, the collective shows in Philadelphia. But yeah, this was not the, the clearest way of moving that forward. Any other thoughts on that? No, I think that, that covers it. All right, then we'll wrap it up from there. Thanks again to all of our VIP listeners. We'll be back next week to talk about House of Glories, The Reckoning. Until then, take care and have a good week.